Amen. You can be seated. And as you do so, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And if you're heading out to Mosaic Kids, you can find our kind folks in the back with the yellow shirts on. So if you're headed out to Mosaic Kids, you can go see the folks waving in the back with their yellow shirts on. There we go. There are those waves. The rest of you can open up to Luke chapter 10. I cannot tell you how glad I am to be among the people of Mosaic Church. I, 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 I cannot tell you just how sweet it is for me um, to be here uh, and to see you. Uh, and uh, the prayers that I have prayed for you uh, are many, and I love you. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 10 today, uh, and as the kids are walking out, as you're turning your Bibles, uh, let me just tell you, over the summer, I spent lots of time in, in silence uh, with the Lord. I spent some good time with my family, uh, but I also spent some time practicing some new hobbies, and one of those hobbies was boxing. Now, let me just say this. That I'm not laying down a gauntlet. This is not an open challenge. Uh, I'm not going to meet you in the parking lot after the service. It's nothing like that, okay? I just want to be honest. I am, a, I am a beginner boxer, as I learned the hard way this past week in boxing level two, which I was not prepared for. Um, but when you start boxing, you're working on a heavy bag. It's a practice bag. If you've seen a boxing movie, if you've seen Rocky or something, it's, just, it's a big heavy bag, and it swings when you hit it. And early on in the classes, I'd start hitting the bag, and the bag will move on you. It starts moving around. It starts shaking. And like a beginner, I would reach out my hand, and I would try to stop the bag. Try to stop it because it's a lot easier to hit it when it's not moving, as you probably assume. And my coach would yell across the class. He'd say, Whirly which I haven't been called Whirly since middle school football, but <clears throat> Whirly, don't stop that bag. Don't stop that bag. The bag's not going to stop. An opponent's not going to stop just because you're tired. Don't stop the bag. Don't touch the bag. You've got to find your rhythm. You've got to keep working with it. So one day after class, I was walking out. I was discouraged because it, it felt like I just was at the bottom of the pile, and I was. And the coach saw that, and he pulled me aside, and he says, hey, listen, you're doing a good job. You're working hard. You're getting better. But you keep waiting for that bag to stop. It's not going to stop. You have to learn to move with it or you're never going to move forward in this. And I was really struck by that comment. And the last week before he had said that, I'd been meditating on a story involving Jesus, Martha, and Mary. And I was asking this question, is it possible to follow Jesus in a world of distraction? Is it possible to follow Jesus when it feels like there's a ton of responsibilities? Is it possible to follow Jesus when it seems like the bag is going to never stop moving? Because our world is full of distractions, isn't it? Our world is full of unique responsibilities, of unforeseen circumstances, and the bag is always moving. It never stops. But I get into this habit of telling myself a lie. The lie is incredibly compelling. The lie is this. Eventually, that bag's just going to stop. Eventually, things are going to slow down. You know, next season, this is a really busy season. How many times have you said that? How many seasons in a row have you said, this is a really busy season? It never stops. It's an illusion. It's a figment. It's an oasis in the desert. And I keep selling myself that lie, and I keep kicking down time with Jesus further down till when the bag stops, and it doesn't. Or I end up eliminating all the wrong things. I feel really, like, pressed. I feel really stressed. I feel really anxious. I feel like something has to go. And like Jonah on the ship, I'm like those sailors. I'm throwing everything over but the one thing that God wants, which is my heart. So I start eliminating all the wrong things, the things that are really costly. But it happens in God's kingdom that some of the most costly things, some of the hardest things are also some of the most fruitful things. 
And so I have found myself reflecting on this reality, which at first is a little bit scary, but then as you begin to lean into it, it becomes a place of freedom, which is this. No one is going to make time for me to give my undivided attention to Jesus. You got to do that. You have to choose that. And giving my attention to Jesus in a world of unwise distractions and unique responsibilities and unforeseen circumstances, it's the only world I have to give my attention to Jesus. If God was inviting me to follow him in a world that was free of distractions, that would be a different thing. But God is inviting me and you to follow him in a world that is full of distractions, that is full of responsibilities, that is full of unplanned circumstances. So what could that look like? Is it even possible? So next week, we're going to turn to Romans 5. But today, I just wanted to share a little bit about what I learned over my sabbatical this summer. Just to share a little bit about what God is teaching me. And to do that, we have to look at Mary. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus. A different Mary. Mary of Bethany. Mary, who was Martha's sister. Or maybe more famously, Mary, who was Lazarus' sister. So I'm going to look at Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I've been discovering as I look at this story. In a world of unwise distractions, unique responsibilities, and unplanned circumstances, God is inviting me to give him my undivided attention. In a world of unique responsibilities, unwise distractions, and unplanned circumstances, God is inviting me to give him my undivided attention. And when I do, what I find there is good and can never be taken away. Let me read Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. And after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. That's an invitation for you to respond and say, thanks be to God. The reason we do that is that God has spoken. He hasn't left us in silence. We give thanks for that. So let me read Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. And let's find out what the Lord has for us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. So Martha and Mary of Bethany, Jesus has a friendship with this household. We know that because he visits at least three times over the course of his ministry, maybe more. But at least three times he visits here. He visits at the resurrection of Lazarus. And then he visits before his arrest and crucifixion when Mary anoints him with perfume. And in this story, Martha has invited Jesus into her home, into her house. And now Martha, by inviting Jesus in, has really embraced a unique set of responsibilities. Do you know why? Because in this context, inviting someone into your home was a very serious matter. We all feel the responsibility of hosting and hospitality. When you have somebody over, you want to make sure you take care of them. But in this culture, to fail in that endeavor was a very serious failure. So for Martha to invite Jesus in, she has taken upon herself a unique responsibility to make sure that her guests are taken care of. The social and cultural expectations on what Martha should do, they were thick. They were very strong. Her neighbors would have been looking at me like, why did the rabbi choose to go into Martha's house? She better treat him well. 
So Martha has taken on some unique responsibilities. And it's important to see this because she, her actions in this story, that's what's culturally expected of her at this time. Like what Martha does in this story is basically what everybody in this world would have thought Martha should have done, which is rush around the house and make sure everybody is taken care of. But Mary, Mary does something different. It says in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now that may seem insignificant to us. We see Mary pause, but that phrasing is really crucial. To sit at the Lord's feet This would have been a phrase that would have been associated with Jewish rabbis. To sit at the feet of a teacher would be to become a student of that teacher. So for Luke to say she sat at the Lord's feet was to say that Mary was doing what disciples do in this time. She's sitting at the feet of the teacher. And when it says she listened to his teaching, it sounds past tense, like it's something she had done. But the word there is ongoing. It's in the imperfect tense, meaning she was listening She was paying attention to Jesus. She was sitting at the feet of the Lord and she was listening. She was absorbing. Jesus had Mary's undivided attention. And in the background, Martha is moving around. She's moving through the kitchen. She's preparing meals. She's probably pouring wine out of wineskins. She's taking care of the disciples. She's picking up and she's cleaning. And Martha is confused by Mary's actions. And shouldn't she be? Mary is the one who's acting abnormal in this situation. Martha's doing what's expected. She's rushing around and Mary has chosen to do something else. And she questions Mary's actions by asking a question of Jesus. What does she ask Jesus? She says, Lord, do you not care? Which is, gosh, that's interesting, right? Do, not, not do you not see? Not do you not notice? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And Jesus' response, it shows us some things about Jesus. It shows us some things about Martha. Because Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. See, Jesus puts his finger on what's going on in Martha's life. He sees her rushing around, and Martha is saying, Jesus, why won't you match my pace? Why won't Mary do what I'm doing? And yet Jesus knows that the anxiety and the distress, the trouble that Martha feels, it goes deeper than just her pace around the house. She's anxious and troubled about many things. And what do we see here in Jesus' response? Well, there's three things I think that are really important for us to pick up here. The first is that we see Jesus' affection for Martha. We see Jesus' affection for Martha. You know how we see that? Because he says, Martha, Martha. This repetition of her name is a sign of tenderness. Anytime you see repetition in a Hebrew culture, it's significant. This is why in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Repetition in Hebrew culture was a way of emphasizing something, either the seriousness of it or the tenderness and care of it. So for Jesus to say to her, Martha, Martha, is a way of communicating his affection for Martha. You see, Jesus loves Martha. But he doesn't just have affection for Martha. Jesus has awareness of what's going on in Martha's life. You see, others might see what Martha's doing, the hurriedness of her schedule, and they might put the finger on what she's doing. But Jesus puts the finger on who she's trying to be. This anxiety and trouble emerges here. You see, because here's, here's, here's something that I just want to tell you. If you have a free schedule and a hurried heart, 
your schedule will fill up real fast. But if you have an unhurried heart and a full schedule, you can pour yourself out and end the day full. See, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's getting right here. He's not taking issue with her technique. He's not going to give her a life hack. He's not going to give her a tip. He's not going to talk to her about meal prepping at the beginning of the week. And God bless you meal preppers. I think it's a commendable thing. But Jesus didn't whisper to Martha. He said, listen, if you go to Costco and you buy in bulk and you prep at the beginning of the week, you can cut some real time out of your days, right? No, no, no. Jesus says you're anxious and troubled about many things. He knows that hurried hearts lead to hurry lives. And Jesus sees Martha's heart. He has awareness of who she is. He doesn't just look at the surface. He looks at the heart. So we see Jesus' affection for Martha, his awareness of Martha. But we also see his affirmation of Mary. He says, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary, and then he uses this phrase, the good portion. Now, this is a society where that phrase, the good portion, they would have felt that. You know why? Because they had to butcher their own stuff. They had to grow their own food. They knew what the good portion meant, right? They knew what the the choice cut was. They knew what it meant to have something good. And what Jesus is saying to Martha is, you're rushing around the house trying to prepare a meal, and you don't see that I'm the main course. You're trying to get everything else ready. You're distracted with everything else, and yet what you're truly hungry for is right here. I'm the good portion. Mary sees it. Let me make a confession to you. I eat too many chips. You know? I go to the restaurant for the fajitas. I'm there for the fajitas. The fajitas cost money. I want the fajitas. It's why I'm there. I'm going to pay for them. I showed up. It was inconvenient of me to get there, and I'm there for the fajitas. But then the chips come, and I eat the chips. And not just a few, a lot, right? And by the time the fajitas come, what's happened? I'm full on the chips. I'm full on the chips. Can, Can I get an amen? Thank you. People of God, you know what this is like. I'm full on the chips. And now the fajitas are sizzling in front of me. I have no more appetite. I've settled for something less. I'm missing the main course. You see, Martha's filling up her life with the chips. She's missing the good portion. She's so busy helping others, living up to her own personal standards, trying to meet society's standards, that she's missing the main thing. She's missing seeing Jesus. If Martha lived in our age and she was supposed to host in this way, she would have been thinking about every Pinterest board. She would have been thinking about every Instagram blue check influencer who has told her what the table has to look like, what the room has to be, that the house has to be clean, that this is how you present it, that this is the kind of meal you should have. She would be so distracted she would miss the guest. She'd be missing out on what's going on, and we do this. We do this. Mary realizes something that Martha misses. Nothing is better than being with Jesus. He is the good portion. He's the main course. He's what will fill the emptiness of our hearts. He's what will satisfy the hunger of our souls. You see, Mary is basically willing to flaunt every social expectation to be with Jesus. And yet Martha's heart is hurried. It's rushing She can feel everything weighing her down. She feels all the pressure to really accomplish. She feels all the pressure to really show up, and she's missing Jesus in the midst of it. Maybe you feel this too. I know that I do. 
You're rushing around life with a hurried heart. You look to the Lord and say, Lord, do you not care? I know I'm not the only one who has said this. I know I'm not the only one who has prayed this. Go, Lord, do you not see all that I am doing? I, I'm Martha in this story. Gosh, I want to be like Mary. But I'm Martha running around trying to make sure everything is done, everything is flawless, everything is perfect. And Jesus invites Martha. Jesus invites me. Jesus invites you to give our undivided attention to him. But we're pulled away. It may not be by the same things that Martha was pulled away by, but, we're, but our attention's pulled, isn't it? There's probably four things, I think, that we could say. Buckets. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down and then start to think in your life. Okay, which one of these is often the thing that pulls my attention away? The first one is unexpected circumstances. Unexpected circumstances happen, right? And it pulls our attention, yeah? I mean, like, there are times when life just goes sideways and we get caught up in it. That's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. Somebody gets sick. Tire goes out, pipes burst, right? Things happen. And you're just wondering, you're going, okay, how am I supposed to give my attention to Jesus in the midst of everything going wrong, everything going sideways? So unexpected circumstances. You know what another thing that pulls our attention? Unwise distractions. Unwise distractions. Probably the greatest threat to our attention is what we carry around in our pocket or our purse. It's our phone, right? It's a tool. We don't use it as a tool. I, we often use it as an idol. And we do. I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. We go to it for knowledge. We go to it for comfort. We go to it for healing. We go to it for distraction. It, it often ends up becoming an idol. Scrolling through social media, living as a news junkie, watching others pretend to live the life we wished we lived. It's an unwise distraction. It pulls our attention. And then there are unreal expectations. And let me just pause here. After three years of ministry in this community, let me just tell you, unreal expectations are everywhere. And many of us have chosen to just adopt them as realistic expectations. Let me tell you, they're not. They're not. Unrealistic expectations, hustling to try to meet them. The unrealistic expectations of our neighbors, of our employers, of our favorite influencers, of who we, of the dad we feel like we should be, of the mom we feel like we should be, of the husband we feel like we should be, of the friend we feel like we should be. We've just accrued all these things. They're like barnacles on the bottom of a boat after a long voyage. We're there and it needs to be cleaned off because we've just accumulated them. A lot of you are living in debt to unrealistic expectations. When was the last time you asked God, God, do you care about any of these things? Because if he doesn't, why do we? Unique responsibilities. Unique responsibilities, this is a good thing. Taking care of what God has entrusted to us, our jobs, our children, our friends, our bodies, our resources, there are unique responsibilities we have. How do we give our attention to Jesus in the midst of unique responsibilities? You see, all of these things can be competing for our attention at any given time. Some of them are wise, some of them are foolish. Some of them are necessary, some of them are not. And our attention is being pulled. So how do we respond like Mary with Jesus when our attention is being pulled in all these directions? You see, Martha thinks the solution, she thinks a lot like I do. She thinks the solution is for Jesus and Mary to match our pace. Now that's our question, right? Lord, do you not see that I'm serving alone? Tell my sister to help me. See, Martha thinks the solution is for Jesus and Mary to start living like Martha's living. Why won't they just be like me? Why won't you be anxious about the things I'm anxious about? 
Why won't you be scared about the things I'm scared about? Right? That's what Martha thinks is the solution. Jesus knows that Martha's world is marked by anxiety and trouble, that everything she gains there will be taken away. So he invites her into the way of Mary. He invites her into this world that Mary has embraced. It's a world of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teachings, even in the midst of distractions, expectations, and responsibilities. You see, the interesting thing about this story is it begins with Martha inviting Jesus into her house And it ends with Jesus inviting Martha to make her home with him. Martha thought, I'm going to invite Jesus in, and I'm going to be impressive. And now Jesus is inviting Martha in and saying, you have to be vulnerable. You have to trust. A lot of us are like Martha. We're wondering why Jesus won't into our hurried lives that are destroying us. And Jesus is saying... But what if, what if there's another way? What, what would it look like for you to, to not live with a hurried heart? Have you ever dreamed of it? Is it possible? And Jesus isn't, he's not a monk. He's not saying, you know what you should do? To have an unhurried heart, leave all responsibilities, go out to the wilderness and stay. But Jesus realizes something about Martha. Because I don't actually think that Jesus wants Martha to, like, He doesn't want Martha to be Mary. He doesn't want Mary to be Martha. He wants them to be who they are, but he wants them to be who they are with unhurried hearts. I bet Jesus really hopes that Martha can love hosting. I bet he just hopes that one day she can invite somebody into her house and have a blast. I bet Jesus hopes that Martha will stay Martha, but she'll be Martha with an unhurried heart. That Mary will be Mary, but Mary with an unhurried heart. One who has learned to choose the good portion. One who has found a way to have the main course in the world of temptations and distractions and unique responsibilities. So let me ask you, have you ever considered that it might be possible for you to live a full life with days that are full of pouring yourself out and yet not have a hurried heart? Have you ever considered that that might be possible? To have a full life. I'm not saying to shirk responsibility. I'm not saying to never enjoy something fun, but to have an unhurried heart as you have very full days. You see, when we stop to sit with Jesus to receive his presence and peace in prayer, to meditate on his words, when we still just the moment of stillness and silence and solitude with the Lord, we are given an opportunity. And the opportunity is to walk in that peace, to walk in that presence, to walk in that purpose throughout all the ordinary moments of the rest of our days. There's this great story about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when once asked what his plans for the following day were, answered, work, 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 from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do, I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, the first part of that, that sounds a lot like me. Work, 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 from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do. And I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. That's so different from the way that I think about things. God, when I get all this stuff done, I'll give you what's left. When I complete this big project, when my kids are a little bit more independent, when we finally pay off this debt, when I finally kick this habit, 
you got me. What would it look like for us to see Jesus as the good portion? To see Jesus as the principal part of our life with God? See, if we go to Jesus to be filled, that fullness can't be taken away. It can't be replicated by any success, accomplishment, or life hack, and it cannot be taken away by any failure, any fatigue, any lack. See, Martha thinks Mary's wasting her time, but Jesus is trying to show them when you take a moment to step outside of the rush of life to sit with Jesus, he will give you peace to quiet your hurried heart. He will fill up your soul's hunger with the good portion. And then even if you go into a busy and exhausting day, you go into that day with Jesus. And I gotta tell you, I don't know that we can all keep living the lives that we're trying to live apart from him. The long tail on it, it's bad. It's bad. I gotta be honest, I struggle to believe this. In the ordinary days, it's very easy for me to believe that I'll get around to Jesus eventually. I'm gonna get around to Jesus after I get a good night's sleep. I'm gonna get around to Jesus after one more episode. I'm gonna get around to Jesus after we wrap up this big project. I'm gonna get around to Jesus when my kid is a bit more independent. I'm gonna get around to Jesus when... And I miss out on something and all that. Something that Jesus has for me, something Jesus has for Martha. By never giving my undivided attention to Jesus, I choose to live every one of the ordinary, busy, messy, exhausting moments apart from him. And I'm not strong enough. And you aren't either. But why? Like, because you might be thinking like, okay, pastor, like, I get it. But sometimes other things just seem better. Right? Because they do. It's like, why is Jesus the good portion? Like, why is he better? Let me, let me ask you differently. Like, why is it worth getting up early? Why is it worth turning off your phone? Why is it worth saying no to the fifth night out in a week? Why is it deciding here and now that club sports won't dominate your weekends? Why is it worth turning off your email? Why is it worth accomplishing less? Why is it worth making less money than you could? Why is it worth refusing a promotion that will demand too much of an already stretched thin life? Why is it worth it? Because when you make that decision, let me promise you what's going to happen. There's going to be a voice, and it might be internal and it might be external. It might be your own internal monologue, or it might be the expectations of some shadow you keep on your shoulder. But when you make that decision to say no to this so that you can give your attention to Jesus, there's going to be a whisper. I'm sure Martha heard a countless number of whispers. I'm sure she heard the whispers of her neighbor. Can you believe? that she did not host the rabbi that way. Can you believe she only gave them the cheap wine? She didn't give them the best. Can you believe she only gave them 16 ounces of lamb? She didn't do something bigger than that. Can you believe that she only had them in her house for two hours? She didn't invite them to stay overnight. Martha heard the whispers of her neighbors, but I'm sure that with an anxious and troubled heart, the loudest whispers were the whispers of her heart. You should do this. You must do that. Those were the whispers that were echoing loudly in Martha's heart, and they're the whispers that echo loudly in our heart and they come from the voices of a multitude of foolish counselors and a multitude of shadows so you have to be prepared when you make the decision to give your undivided attention to Jesus you're going to hear why are you sitting around shouldn't you be spending this time with your kids 
Shouldn't you work more? Isn't your boss going to think less of you? You're going to hear the voices of neighbors and the voices of the specter of whoever you think is doing things the right way, and they're going to be whispering to you, oh, there's a better way to do that. If you would have spent a little bit more time on this or a little bit more time on that, then you'd be just a little bit better than you are right now. Don't you want to be like this? Don't you want to deliver? Don't you want your kids to have this kind of life? Don't you want to have this kind of paycheck? Those whispers are going to come because the world wants you to have time for everything but being with Jesus. The world is fine with you being busy with matters of the world. But you learn to be busy with Jesus. You learn to give your undivided attention to Jesus. The world doesn't want that kind of mindfulness. They don't want that kind of self-care. It's dead said to convince you that if you're exhausted, busy, or distracted, the first thing you should throw out is giving your undivided attention to Jesus. Why is Jesus a good portion? Why make the sacrifice to sit at the feet of Jesus in a world of distraction, responsibility, and expectations? Let me give you a few reasons. Write these down because it's easy to forget them. The first one, Jesus welcomes the true version of you, not the one you pretend to be. Jesus welcomes the true version of you, not the masked version. Jesus welcomes who you really are, not who you pretend to be on Instagram. Jesus welcomes the exhausted, anxious, troubled heart. That's who he welcomes, not the mask. You see, Jesus doesn't love the version of you that you think is worthy of love. Jesus loves who you are. And boy, isn't that good news? Because a lot of us are really exhausted trying to keep the mask up, trying to pretend. And when we sit at Jesus' feet, we grow deep lives as we receive that love. Let me tell you something. Your life will be as deep as you believe you are loved. Because to grow a deep life requires incredible risks. And the only people who can risk it all are those who believe they have something they can never lose. And God's love in Jesus is an unbreakable, unstopping, unlosable kind of love. You want to grow a deep life, you're going to have to grow a deep love. I wrote in my journal this summer during a day of prayer, who am I when my mask of confidence falls? Who am I when I feel like I could have done more with my day? Who am I when I feel like a failure as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a man? As hard as it is to believe whatever names I might call myself, God calls me beloved. And I feel like Peter walking on the water. When I set my eyes on you, I remember. But when my eyes go away, I sink into the fatigue of forgetfulness. Jesus welcomes the true version of who we are, not who we pretend to be. That's why he's the good portion. But that's not all. There's more. Jesus is better than what we settle for. See, Jesus doesn't lie to us. He tells the truth. Jesus doesn't create chaos. He calms it. Jesus doesn't bring fear. He brings peace. Jesus doesn't hurt. He heals. Jesus is better than what we settle for. He does the opposite of what the things that we use to comfort us often do. 
Jesus makes us alive to life. He helps us to live more fully and more abundantly. You see, when we give our attention to Jesus, he makes us more human, more alive, more aware of the world. And this is the problem with a lot of the rhetoric that's out there now, and I'm sympathetic to it. Over the last five, six years, there has been an elevation in language around self-care. And I know why. Because people are exhausted. And they're beat down and they're broken. They're just looking for any lifeline. Just saying like, I can't do this. And there are many priests and prophets of self-care who will show you any number of ways that you can make yourself feel better. But I'll tell you this. Most of what passes for self-care is about numbing how you feel about desensitizing your desires, about helping us to not feel, to just decompress, to just turn off. Very few of them get to the heart of the matter. Very few of them invite us into a place where we come out more alive, not less alive. You see, God invites us into something better than self-care. The Bible calls it abiding. Because in self-care, it's on you to fix you. But on abiding, you come to God and say, I can't. You've got to do it. You've got to heal me. That's better. Self-care is a different kind of tyranny for your heart. What it is, is it's the promise of, hey, you got you into this situation, now you better get you out of this situation. Abiding is the entrusting of yourself to God and saying, I don't know how I got here, but I'm miserable, I'm exhausted, I'm joyless. It's like David saying to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation, See, Jesus, when we give our attention to him, he makes us more alive. He doesn't dull our desires. He enlivens them. He shows us that we're settling for lesser things. Last reason why Jesus is a good portion, because Jesus is a wise investment for the long road. Jesus is a wise investment for the long road. Finance people. I know we've got a lot of finance-minded folks in here. And they'll tell you that compound interest is magical. Here's why. The earlier you started investing, the more momentum you can build over your life. Your growth is like a snowball rolling downhill. Because of compound interest, lots of small deposits over your life can produce better returns and results than one big investment at the end. And being with Jesus is a bit like this. It brings healing, help, and wholeness in the moment, but it grows stronger and stronger over time. Small deposits over time produce incredible fruit over the long haul. I always tell somebody, when you spend time with Jesus, God is working in you there, but he's also laying kindling down for a future work he's going to do in your life. Not every time that we give our attention to Jesus is there this incredible heaven-split-open moment, but the kindling for that moment is being laid down whether we know it or not. God works in our life like running water over rocks sometimes. We don't see the formation, but over years, the river changes. It grows wider and it grows deeper because of what God has been up to in our lives. These small deposits, they, they make a difference, but often the distractions around us, they promise us an immediate hit, don't they? They promise us an immediate hit. They promise to make us feel better right now. So we exchange the good portion of looking to Jesus for something that we feel like will meet our craving in the moment. And it does. It can make us feel good for a moment. But this investment strategy, I mean, when, when you take it out of our spiritual life, you put it to our finance life, it'd be like you saying like, hey, you saving for retirement? Somebody's saying, oh yeah, man, I got a plan. Every week, I go to the corner store. 
I buy 10 scratch-off lotto tickets. I cross my fingers. And they're like, it's so much fun. I'm like, yeah, it is, but it's probably not going to produce the returns you want. It's probably not going to work out the way you think it is. So how could you do this? So you're thinking, okay, I want to do that. I want the good portion. I want to give my undivided attention to Jesus. How do you do this? How can you begin to give your attention to Jesus? Let me just tell you two things. The first, schedule it. You schedule everything else that matters in your life. Schedule it. This is what we do with everything else. I often hear people say, I want this life with God to be an organic, natural part of my life. I want it to just flow out of me. And here's what. I want it too. I want that too. And do you know what the secret sauce is? I spend a lot of time with older godly people, and I've found the secret sauce. It's this. The people who have these natural, organic lives with God, they have a place in their life that is deep, reserved, committed space with the Lord, and they've been doing it at that time, in that way, for a long time. Surprise. They've put a lot of attention to something, and guess what? It's starting to flourish. It's starting to come out naturally. Let me just give you a peek behind the curtain of what that looks like in my life. You don't have to replicate this. This is just an example. Maybe it's helpful. If it's not, throw it away. Just get rid of it. When I think about time with the Lord, I think about time with the Lord with my family. We call that family worship sometimes. We do that on Friday mornings at the Worley House. It's my day off. We do it on Friday mornings. It's usually a train wreck. (laughs) Now, parents know this. Sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's really more about Paw Patrol uh, and who our favorite character is. But we do it. And we keep doing it. We keep doing it. Trusting God with the fruit. Praying with my wife. You know when we try to do that? Sunday evenings. The week is in front of us. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we miss it. When we do it, it's sweet. Studying God's word. I got to do it early in the morning. I don't have to do it early in the morning because that's like a life hack. I have to do it early in the morning because if I don't do it early in the morning, it often gets displaced by something else. And that's just me being truthful with you. So I got to do it early in the morning. And the flip side of that is my heart is really sensitive to a bunch of voices that are going to try to tell me who I am throughout the day. Maybe yours as well. And if I don't wake up in the morning and really go, who am I with the Lord, then I'm probably going to listen to one of the other voices. Maybe you're stronger than that. Schedule it. Do it with others. Anybody ever had a running or workout partner? Come on. Yes. Raise your hands. You've had running and workout partners. Let's get better about this. Running and workout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder to just sleep in when you know somebody's waiting for you at the gym. I'm not above it. Okay. I've done it. Some of you know I've done it because you've been on the other side of it. Um, But when you have a running or workout partner, it's a lot harder to be like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to skip today. Somebody's there for you. We got to have help. Jump into men or women's Bible study. Sign up for passage. Make a commitment with three other men or three other women for a time each week and say, we're going to get together and pray. Or we're just going to jump on a conference call and pray and read scripture. I mean, do what you got to do to get this time and to do it with others. I got to tell you, I have regularly exchanged the good portion of being with Jesus for something else. Last spring, I was hitting a place where I was in a bad cycle. Fear, discouragement, Hustle, anxiety, distraction. I was afraid. I was discouraged all the time. I was afraid that I was going to let my family down. 
afraid that I was going to let Mosaic down, afraid I was going to disappoint God with not being the man that I needed to be. I felt stretched thin on every front, manhood, marriage, fatherhood, friendship, work. Maybe, that's, maybe you're there now. Maybe, maybe you've been there. I had two reactions to this fear. The first one is my default. Hustle harder. Grind. Focus all my energy on working more and more, focusing my extra time on trying to life hack my way into peace. My prayer sounded like Martha's question to the Lord, Lord, do you not see all that I'm doing? And then I would run out of gas, because you will. And I would turn to distractions to just try to check out and turn off. Every time I woke up early or stepped away from work, I could feel the invitation to turn my attention to the Lord, but there was this other thing that was promising me an immediate hit. And that just felt better and sounded better. And I would make that exchange. You see, I'd become a slave. I had become a slave to busyness with worldly matters. And I have a sneaking, sneaking suspicion that I'm not the only one who's felt this way. I'm going to level with you. I think some of you are beat down. I think some of you are exhausted, discouraged, alone. I feel like some of you are barely hanging on. I think some of you feel hurt, ashamed, paralyzed, and lonely. I think many of you would hear the, the promise of Jesus for abundant life and say, my life feels nothing like that promise. And the problem isn't that we don't believe Jesus is the son of God. The problem isn't that we don't believe Jesus is our, is our savior. The problem isn't that we don't believe that Jesus is our Lord. The problem is that we have a hard time believing he's the good portion. We have a hard time believing he's better than the next best thing. We have a hard time believing that whatever distraction or duty stands at our door is not as good as Jesus. We have a problem believing he's the good portion. So we settle for distractions with the hope and comfort that they'll heal. We scroll through social media longingly looking for lives that look better than the one we're living. We look to play next episode on Netflix at 9 p.m. because we're afraid of the vulnerable conversation with ourselves, with the Lord, with our spouse, with our roommate, with our friend. We look to one more glass of wine or whiskey or one more bowl of ice cream to decompress and Jesus, at the end of the day, says, Kyle, Kyle, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And I know that everything I've tried hasn't worked. Or maybe we look to duty to give purpose and meaning. We look to the unique responsibilities of our lives, and we feel like our lives are empty even though they're busy. So the only solution we know is to over. Overwork, overparent, overschedule, overhustle, overspend, and then do it again. Overwork, overparent, overschedule, overhustle, overspend, and then do it again until we bottom out. And Jesus looks at us and says, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I am the good portion. And this is what Jesus' invitation is for us today, to be people who are marked by his presence and peace in a world of distraction and inattentiveness. But to do that, we will have to make a decision to stop and sit with Jesus' feet. We can't wait for the bag to stop moving. It's not going to stop. If we keep waiting, we will stay hungry. We will stay starving for the good to be found only in Jesus' presence. So let me ask you a question. This is where we'll end. What would it look like for you to make a decision today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when the big project is done, not when your kid is sleeping through the night, not when you've paid off the debt, what would it look like for you to make a decision today to say, God, I am going to find a place and time in my life when I can give you my attention because I need healing. 
I need help. I need strength. I need hope. I don't have them, and I'm not getting them anywhere else. What would it look like for you to make a decision today and say, God, where can I do that? Help me see it. Help me make that time a place to choose the good portion, to give your attention to Jesus so that he might meet you there as you are and start to put back together what feels broken in your life. What would that be for you? It probably doesn't begin with Luther's three hours of prayer. Confession, that's not where it is with me. What would it look like for you to begin to walk in the way of Mary in a world full of all the anxiety of Martha and to say, Jesus, make me whole? Let's pray. Father, God, I know the fatigue and exhaustion of having to wake up every day trying to live that day apart from the peace, presence, and goodness found with you. And I believe that there are many for whom that has just become normal. I know that in my life, in the season that lays behind me, it was for me. Help us, Lord. God, as we sing, I shall not want, I pray, God, that you would help us to see that you are who we need. Please, God, give us a vision for the good portion. You are gracious, God. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you work in our lives. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you're working even now as you're breaking chains of slavery in this room. Thank you, God, that there are lies that are being uprooted in the hearts of men and women in this room. And I pray, God, that it would produce a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of abundant life and abundant living in them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.